Welcome to the Smoke Pit. Folks, we have fantastic news. For those of you who've been following us for a while, we've been trying to push legislation for toxic exposure, burn pits, and the like. We finally got some uh, passed in the House. Then it went to the Senate, and on the first motion, it passed 86 to 12 uh, to advance for the final round of voting sometime next week, which that means if it votes, um, if it gets voted on and it gets passed, then it'll go to the president's desk, and we'll actually have some real comprehensive health care uh, for veterans exposed to various toxic substances. So what we need y'all to do is to uh, call your senators, encourage them uh, to support the Honoring Our Pact Act, which is H.R. 3967, and uh, make sure that uh, you impress upon them. It's super easy. Just Google the name of your senator. Just give them a call and be like, hey, I live in your state and I want this passed, particularly the ones uh, that voted nay. There was only like 12 of them. So it's not even like a partisan issue. Uh, just make sure you do that for us. We'd really appreciate next week is kind of like the big push that we really need. And then it gets signed into law and we can feel like we've done something. So uh, for those of you who are also longtime listeners of the show, uh, here is my uh, newly promoted uh, fiance, Samantha. Hello. Samantha, so you used to play violin, right? A little bit. So have you ever heard of an individual named Joshua Bell? When I say a little bit, I meant I played in, like, elementary school, middle school, so no. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Joshua Bell is considered to be uh, the best violinist in the world. He's certainly the richest. He has, like, a personal net worth of, like, $15 million. The violin that he plays on uh, is worth at least $3.5 million, which that estimate might have gone up because, you know, he is... Uh, the, the bee's knees at playing violin. So because he's had it, the, the violin uh, may be worth now. But originally it was uh, crafted in the uh, early 1700s as a Stradivarius, which is considered to be the best violin maker. And much like a cast iron skillet, the more it gets played, the apparently the more it gets seasoned and the better it sounds. Is that true? I do remember hearing something of that. Well, like, you heard it, folks, our resident violin no, expert. No, 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 <laughs> no. No, I Googled it. It's true. Okay. I'm not going to hang you out there to dry. I do know that one time I broke my bow and, like, I cried and my, my violin instructor got mad at me for breaking <laughs> the bow, but, like, they were all hand-me-downs. But, I mean, they sounded nice enough. You get, yeah. you use something called resin and, like, I'm yeah. sure it's like chalk for when you work out and it ch- sort of makes it, that's the seasoning. Uh, so I have a little story that I think would be extremely beneficial for everyone to hear because I know I appreciate it. And uh, I did a bit to Googling uh, to make sure that this isn't just some random, you know, Facebook meme that's all screenshotted and blurry. Uh, so we actually did some fact checking. Joshua Bell uh, went to a subway in New York City and he played for around an hour or so. And in that time, uh, 1,097 people walked past him. Like they had cameras set up and they, they, uh, they clocked it all. And so he started playing and seven people actually stopped to listen for any length of time. And so of that, one person actually recognized who he was and they gave him a $20 tip. It's called busking. Uh, but besides the people who didn't know him, he made $30 in tip. Now, mind you, this is the greatest violin of our uh, violinist of our era playing a violin worth millions of dollars. And he's playing the most complex pieces of music that he knows. He's down there. And now right before that, uh, Joshua Bell had sold out a theater in Boston for seats that were averaged about $100. So like this dude is like the top of his profession. However, 
as he was sitting there playing, only a handful of people stopped. This was kind of a social experiment that proved the extraordinary and unordinary environment does not shine and is so often overlooked and undervalued. There are brilliantly talented people everywhere who aren't receiving the recognition and reward they deserve, but once they arm themselves with value and confidence and remove themselves from an environment that isn't serving them, they thrive and they grow. So that's kind of like the old parable that says, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine. And so if you're not experiencing success, if you're not happy with your environment, it may not be the fact that you aren't talented or that you do not have value. In fact, it is probably most likely the case that it's just bad soil that you're trying to put your seeds in. And so we have a a few interviews today with people who originally thought that nobody would want to hear their story, but they put it out there and they figured out that it encouraged other people to actually tell similar stories that they've had. And one subject is a little bit more serious than the other. You know, we like to mix it up here in the smoke pit, but we truly hope that you Uh, enjoy these interviews because it is sometimes a hard lesson uh, to learn when you're feeling down and dejected that it may just be the environment. You may just not be surrounded by the type of people that will help you grow and foster your personal development. And I know I have personally experienced this. Have you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The first time I remember this happening to myself is um, when I wanted to switch my swim teams back when I was like in high school, where I swam for like this really small team and I kind of was stagnant. I just wasn't like, I really wasn't improving even though I really wanted to. And like swimming was my whole, like my whole life back then. And so I like looked into switching teams and I did all the work. I like took extra buses right after school and like my school went on longer for like, um, than the rest of the schools in the county. And so like I would run to the bus to stop to catch the bus on time. And I would go to these like crazy new schools to like swim at and I didn't know anybody and it was really scary yeah and um but by doing that I kind of put myself in a position where I was able to find the right new swim team and when I got on that team I was finally able to like drop more time and get faster and I met a lot of great new people and I learned a whole lot of things that I wouldn't have had I stayed at that old team and it just it really helped me like I ended up going to speedo sectionals yeah and that was something I'd always wanted to do. I always wanted to go to, like, the district champs, and I had finally able to do that once I had joined this new team. So, Yeah, and sometimes making that leap can be scary, uh, particularly uh, when you put yourself out there and you start to see, you know, what's around you. And the old saying is that comparison is the thief of joy. And to bring it back to the very talented Mr. Joshua Bell, uh, there was a story that uh, was given as an interview. The former assistant uh, dean of music for the Florida State College of Music uh, was friends with uh, Joshua Bell, and he was actually picking him up from his hotel to perform at an event. However, there was a audition for the College of Music at the same time. So the night before, uh, Joshua Bell busts out his you know multi-million dollar violin and he's practicing and he's just getting it right. He's like, you know, I want to sound good. You know, I'm, I'm, I want to make sure that I, ha- I have all these notes right. And he's just shredding it right. Unbeknownst to him in the room next door, apparently there was a young lady who was auditioning uh, for the College of Music. So when the uh, gentleman, George uh, Ryodrin, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Apologies if it's wrong. Uh, he walks in the lobby waiting for Bell to come down and he sees this young lady and she just looks super upset 
he can see the violin case and so figures that she's probably there for the audition. He's like, hey, like, are you okay? And she's like, no, I heard somebody practicing in the uh, the room next to me. And apparently what she said is there is no way I can compete with that. I'm out of my league and I'm going home. And apparently the gentleman kind of chuckled a little bit and, you know, calmed her down. And he said, that's Joshua Bell next door, not a student who's here to audition. It's okay. We don't expect you to play at his level. No one can. Like, he's the best in the world, right? And here she was thinking that that was just another student competing. (laughs) So whether it be swimming or playing violin or lifting in the gym or working on your own art, whether that be writing, your profession, whatever the case is, looking over your shoulder at the the guy or gal next to you, all it's going to do is distract you from your own progress. And sometimes you may not even have the full context. And you're not supposed to be as good as the best in the world when you're first starting. Look at the rank structure in the military. Like, if you're a corporal, you're not supposed to be a battalion commander. No one expects you to take a division and land at Normandy. That's not your job. That's why we have the rank structure that prepares you for more and more responsibility as you get higher in rank. And there's a reason why you're not even eligible for promotion until you've been at that rank for a certain amount of time, time and grade. So nobody expects you to be a sergeant the moment you get promoted to corporal. You should afford yourself the opportunity to grow and develop not only as a leader or whatever your profession or your hobby is because you're not supposed to be the best in the world when you're first starting out. And even as evidenced by this story, the best in the world, Joshua Bell, was still practicing the night before a performance because he even knows that it takes a certain level of effort to maintain the edge on any sort of skill that you have worked to develop over years. So with that being said, Samantha, thank you for... uh, briefly joining us. I appreciate it. And I hope that you enjoy these next interviews and you take them out uh, out as much from them as I did. Enjoy. Special thanks to Samantha for joining us on the show. I, I know you don't care for, for being recorded, but I appreciate the enthusiasm when you're uh, about to marry a podcaster. You might get drug on the show every once in a while. Next shout out goes out to Grunstow. Thank you for all the hard work you've put in to helping Burn Pits 360 push this Burn Pit uh, legislation and just all the general hard work that has gone into supporting veteran-owned initiatives and companies. Also, big shout-out to Field Seats. They have some amazing products that they're doing reviews on, and if you purchase a seat to these digitals reviews, then you automatically get entered to win whatever that item might be. It might be a badass rifle. It might be a Glock 19. It might be an ACOG. Whatever it is, you get a chance to win, and it's limited seating, so the odds are really good. Check out FieldSeats.com. Joining us today is Lexi Cassidy, the creator of the Your Call Project. Lexi, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me. So your project, uh, the Your Call, is very important to us. Um, You're putting this together as part of kind of a way to express a little bit of frustration and to allow uh, military and veterans a chance to vent some of their experiences. Uh, Did I get that right? Correct. And their talents. And their talents. Uh, Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. So I am putting together a book of um, Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Enduring Freedom Veterans, short stories, poetry, and artwork. Um, It's going to be um, an anthology, like a coffee book style table. You know what I mean? Reverse those two words. (laughs) Coffee table style book. That's what I meant. Um, and it's being published by Three Ravens Publishing. Uh, that's also a veteran-owned publisher. 
and all the proceeds are going to the We Defy Foundation. Um, so that is to raise money to give disabled veterans jujitsu scholarships. Well, that's fantastic. Um, how long have you been working on this? Uh, almost a year now. So um, I'm still collecting submissions and the due date is August 1st. So we're almost to the editing and publishing portion. Okay, and so um, are there any prerequisites or are there any uh, stipulations if somebody wanted to contribute? Um, so the only uh, prerequisite is that you are an OEF, OIF, you're a veteran. So basically right after 9-11 to the fall of Afghanistan. Um, and you do not have to be a combat um, veteran. Uh, any veteran from those eras can submit a short story, an artwork, a poetry, um, and it can be about anything um, anything from your time in service. So I have um, funny stories. I have uh, MOS school stories. I have um, deployment stories. Um, my story is in there about being homeless after the Navy, my transition story. Um, so whatever story you want to tell is um, what we're going to be publishing. Oh, wow. So um, could you tell us a little bit about your uh, military experience? And it sounds like it, uh, it had some ups and downs. And now you're in a position where you're helping other veterans um, talk about their story. So hopefully it seems like it's on the upswing. Yeah. Um, so I joined the Navy in 2004. Um, I was escaping a domestic violence relationship. Um, and my brother uh, was a Marine who was going to Iraq with 3-1 Kilo Company. Um, and so when he, when I found out he was going to Iraq, I escaped my partner and joined the Navy to kind of, so my brother wouldn't have to be alone. And um, I got stationed with the Marines. Uh, I got stationed on my brother's base. And so I was there both times that he left and came back from Iraq. Um, wow. And, but I had uh, PTSD and I didn't realize it from the domestic violence that I had went through. Um, so I actually, uh, when I got out of the Navy, I, um, I was in JP for smoking weed uh, to help my PTSD symptoms, but I didn't know that that's what I was doing at the time. I just uh, wanted to feel better. So I actually got kicked out of the Navy after two years and then I had nowhere to go. So um, I was homeless for six months. Um, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And then um, it was about a 10 year journey to get um, back on my feet, to get clean and sober. And now I want to help other vets find their, their healing process without having to maybe have all that bad stuff <laughs> in the mix. Well, it is a very noble aspirations to uh, help guide others through some of the snares and pitfalls that um, you have experienced. So we, we thank you for that. Uh, if people want to submit their, their artwork, where can they find you? Um, so my website is theyourcallproject.org. Uh, you can submit your work to my email, alexis.cassidy at gmail.com. And that is C-A-S-I-D-A-Y. Or you can reach me on Instagram, and that's at Harley Kujitsu. Oh, so it sounds like you also do some jujitsu there. Uh, do you find that uh, equally as therapeutic? 
Yes, so the things that I've um, used for my healing journey is writing, uh, jujitsu, and exercise. So those were, that was the winning combo for me. Um, and so that is the reason that I'm collecting all of these writings and artwork from veterans and also why all the proceeds are going to give veterans um, jujitsu scholarships because jujitsu has been a huge process um, a tool in my healing process. So I want other vets to discover that as well. So um, many people have uh, experienced various forms of domestic abuse, uh, myself included. For those of you who don't know, when I was a child, I, I've had several last names in my life. I was adopted some time a few times, we um, had spent some time in a battered children's shelter. And so it, well, when we talk about things like uh, you know, domestic uh, violence, bad relationships, uh, you know, there, there's really no uh, way to say like, oh, that person looks like they haven't been through that, or there's really no way to disqualify that. You never really know what somebody's story is or what their journey has looked like. And uh, you had mentioned earlier that sometimes you don't necessarily know that the way that you're behaving is a manifestation of the the uh, the trauma that you have been through. So, if you were to um, you know to to offer any advice to somebody who may be in a similar circumstance but not quite willing to admit that they are in that circumstance, what would you say? I would say um, listen to the people who are trying to help you um, because. I had a lot of um, people that tried to intervene in my life and tried to be um, helpers. And a lot of times I just uh, grit my teeth and said, there's nothing wrong with me. I can do this myself. I don't need you. Um, and so I wish that I had accepted help a lot sooner um, because really I, I couldn't have done it by myself. And when I um, stopped, um, kind of pulling myself up by my own bootstraps and took someone's hand for help, uh, that's when I began to get better. So I would say don't do it all yourself and speak speak up about what you're going through. I think that our, secret, our secrets keep us sick. Um, and so I always uh, try to find somebody to tell the things that I'm feeling and going through, um, someone that I can trust that I know isn't going to um, kind of betray my secrets, I guess, but um, holding everything all in makes you sicker for longer. So um, just tell someone if you're suffering, it's not weak. Uh, thank you for that. That was fantastic advice. I, I would say that in my personal experience, I know it's different from everyone, but once you have kind of become accustomed to being treated a certain way, it kind of makes it easier to overlook those red flags later on in life. Or, you know, if you had um, you know, domestic um, uh, violence or abuse when you were a child, when you get into your first uh, real adult relationship, you may overlook uh, some things like that. And I know that that certainly happened to me and I tolerated things that I uh, should not have in any stretch of the imagination. And I, I think that you are absolutely right that sometimes you don't even realize that um, the, your behavior is a, a direct result of the things that have happened to you. And you know, it's no different than if you, um, you know, had something befall you physically, like you got hit by a car, you got a sunburn, whatever the case is, you know, it was something that was external that uh, impacted you. And so I think that uh, one of the biggest misconceptions that I think people 
uh, should try to dispel is that you are not uh, inherently deserving of mistreatment. And I, I have found, unfortunately, that sometimes myself and I felt that way in the past and other people where you think that if somebody treats you poorly, that it's somehow your fault. And that's just, that's just not the case. Nobody deserves to be treated poorly. Uh, so if you were to give any uh, advice of how do you, how do you overcome that hump of learning to, to care for yourself and to put your foot down and say, you know, I, I deserve to be treated well. Um, so that's actually something that I had to talk through with my therapist because um, I think like a lot of abused people, I have very bad negative self-talk. Um, and so I'm basically my worst enemy sometimes when it comes to um, believing in me. Um, so one thing that my therapist um, at the VA said when I finally went to get help was that um, I would say things about myself and she would tell me, um, if your best friend, like you're the best friend that you care for the most said that about herself, what would you say to her? And I said, well, of course I wouldn't allow her to keep saying that. Like I wouldn't agree with her. I would have compassion for her and I would tell her it wasn't true. And she said, why can't you have that much grace for yourself? And so I always think about that now, um, whenever I'm talking harmfully to myself or negatively, or um, I guess awfulizing is what she called it, the situation. I just um, pretend that I'm my own best friend and give myself that advice um, that I would give to somebody else. Well, thank you for sharing that. And you know, that it was a very profound um, way to look at it. And I, I thank you for that. And I, I appreciate the, the effort that you have Put forth into not only helping to uh, better your own life, but helping to better the life of uh, those service members around you. So uh, where can we find you on social media? On Instagram at Harley Kujitsu, uh, Facebook under my name, Alexis Cassidy. I also have a private um, Facebook group for, for veterans on Facebook under uh, your call is very important to us. That's the name of my book. Um, and that's, that's it right now. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story. Are there, are there any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, one of the main um, things that has come out of this project is um, your story matters. So I, I, I began this project um, searching for other veterans to tell their stories and um, to share their poetry and their artwork. And something that happened for me through this project is that people became interested in my poetry and my artwork, which I never even thought to share. Um, that wasn't something that I was going to do at the beginning of this project. And uh, people have been interested in my story, had me on podcasts, um, wanted to read my poetry and, and I've started writing my own book and I guess that just believe that your story is going to make a difference in all of the bad things that have happened to you, um, that have you, you've gone through and survived, like somebody is going to look at that and be inspired. So just don't give up and um, tell our stories because there's power in, in our story. And if you don't think that your poetry or your story or your artwork is good enough to be in a book, still send it to me because um, I absolutely do believe that it's good enough and that somebody out there needs to see it and, and be inspired by it. 
Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. I will definitely be sending you something. Uh, just do me a favor and put it in the very back. So that way it will only be seen by the most dedicated and gracious of readers. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, fair winds following seas. We'll see you next time here in the Smoke Pit. Thank you. If you would like to submit a poem or short story, check out theyourcallproject.org. And don't forget that deadline is August 1st. Big shout out to Espeto, Technical to Tactical, they got you covered. They are the ones who designed and implemented the Mach 5 female body armor that the Air Force is currently fielding to all their female defenders. So if your unit needs customized body armor, if you need IT support, or if you just want some bullet-resistant suits, like you see in all those movies, check out Aspetto.com. Now, please enjoy the next interview. And don't forget to check out PopSmokeMedia.com for news, updates, and stories. Joining us today is Nick from Tales from the Grid Square. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. I saw my first Halloween decoration uh, while driving down the road. It was for a farm that was advertising uh, their their um, spooky rides and haunted mazes coming up. And I realized that although it's just starting to get warmer, uh, spooky season's right around the corner. You know what? You're right. Someone has uh, told me once, once Halloween ends, you start preparing for the next one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Tales from the Grid Square, uh, you guys specialize in gathering, researching, and retelling paranormal military stories. Did I get that right? Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, we collect stories from service members and veterans uh, concerning their accounts and encounters with, you know, events that would be deemed not normal. Okay. And uh, you you mentioned that you were uh, a one-man operation right now, and that's extremely impressive considering the, uh, the volume of materials that you guys put out, and not to mention the fact that you guys just uh, released an actual and published a book. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, that was... We've uh, started off as an Instagram page, uh, so you can find us on Instagram, Tales from the Grid Square. Uh, and kind of like a natural evolution that occurred uh, was from another page that doesn't do paranormal stories, but they collect war stories, and that is uh, Battles and Beers. Yeah. We created a book called uh, What the War Did to Us. And fantastic, fantastic man, fantastic page. Uh, incredible book if your listeners haven't picked it up it's also available on amazon uh and so i saw that and i was so impressed i was like you know what like i have all these stories on instagram that people have sent in but you know how digital media is nowadays uh just one wrong step and your page is gone forever and i didn't want these stories to like vanish into the digital ether so i decided i'm going to post the stories on the page and then turn around and collect them into a series of volumes uh, so they can kind of be preserved forever. Yeah, I, uh, I bought my copy a little while ago, and I got to say, I was, I was very impressed by the quality, the artwork, uh, and we're actually going to have you read one of your stories here later on as a bit of incentive to get people to stick around. Uh, so what kind of uh, led you to become more interested in the other-than-normal activities, particularly when you, when you look at it through a military lens? Yeah. So, um, I'll start off and I, so, uh, I'm still active duty, um, active duty army. And, um, I, uh, I've always had an interest in like paranormal, not normal kind of things, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, UFOs, all that stuff. 
Um, and I'm sure you can relate and your, you know, the listeners can relate as well, uh, especially if you've been in the service. Like there's those times of boredom, right? Like those like lulls and like activity, late nights on staff duty, um, like times in the field, you're just sitting around bored and it's like nighttime, like the mood is just right. You know, do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and I know every uh, base and location kind of comes with its own scent, uh, a set of tall tales, urban legends, um, myths that have been passed down by word of mouth from generation to generation. Oh yeah. And you know, I always, I, I love that stuff. I love hearing like stories from people and I love like learning about like some of those different legends or quote unquote legends. Um, and, you know, I found that there's all these stories that get kind of whispered uh, in between like on late night staff duties or, you know, around the smoke pit or, you know, just like, right. You know, that kind of stays within the group. Like, all right, Hey, I'm going to tell you this, this story. Like you might call me crazy. I'm not crazy. Um, <clears throat> and so because of that kind of like pseudo kind of quiet culture, it got me thinking, um, you know, uh, a lot of the times people don't want, if people see something like, I don't know if a UFO flashes in front of you and then flies off, right. Are you going to say something like, will you sit there and think like people, people might think you're crazy, right. Or you were hallucinating or whatever. Um, and I think like also in the military, there's that kind of stigma, you know, you don't want people to think like you're, uh, not all there, like you're crazy or maybe you're hallucinating because it does affect your job sometimes. So I think a lot of times people like keep quiet about some, some of the stuff they see. I don't know if you would agree or disagree with me on that. You know, I, I, I understand that. Um, I think that, uh, sometimes you don't want people to, uh, to, to, like you said, think that you're sleep deprived or off your rocker. Uh, because, you know, you go get to see the wizard and that uh, isn't always the most fun experience. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, and absolutely right. And so what really became the catalyst for this was I went on a uh, JRTC rotation um, with my unit about a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah, about two years ago. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the legend surrounding JRTC. No, not so much. Uh, please. Uh... Uh, please enlighten me. I, I know a lot of Marine legends, but uh, I'm, I'm not too familiar with any of the Army legends, so I'm, I'm excited to hear about this. Oh, yeah. So um, so Fort Polk is in Louisiana, uh, middle of nowhere, uh, like desolate, really hot, kind of just forest, swampy area. Uh, big training ground for all the Army's light infantry divisions. So, you know, they all go there to the dreaded JRTC and go play war for like 30 days and leave. Uh, so very high off tempo place, very like, go, go, go. Uh, within there, there is a legend known, and it's kind of like from what I put together. Uh, it's colloquially known as the box witch, right? Uh, and the box referring to the actual like scenario area. Uh, the box being like where the war takes place, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Um, we'll call that like the, the sandbox or the backyard or stuff like that because our uh, I guess the Marine equivalent would be 29 Palms where, you know, it's out in the middle of the Mojave desert. Uh, literally. Um, I think it was the Hills have eyes. The the second one they filmed like in that area, uh, the, the Manson family had their uh, ranch, like a couple, only a couple hours away. Uh, there's like a native American burial ground, like two miles outside of the front gate. Like it's, it's got its own set of legends and it's just a big fuck off, um, you know, 
area with lots of training areas. So yeah, oh, yeah. I guess that would be the, the Marine equivalent for us because every unit that was deploying would go there for a month. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with 29 Palms actually. Uh, my dad was stationed out there for a while. Um, so I got to, I like to look up some of the weird stuff that happens out there and there is quite a bit, but I digress. We can get back into that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so yeah. Fort Polk, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Fort Polk is, uh, like, so it has this legend known as a box switch. And so depending on who you talk to rotational forces, uh, people who are stationed there, the G man or Geronimo, which is the op four that, uh, works out there. The box, switch can be anything from a singular, like, ghost like a witch a literal witch that like live there and then now that haunts the area to like numerous different things from anything from like literally like sasquatch bigfoot uh they also also known as bog walkers ufos strange lights um like weird weather phenomena ghosts shadow people all sorts of stuff uh basically it's just a weird area uh and so i went there during jrtc and i kind of experienced some like stuff that made me stop and go like you know that was kind of (laughs) weird and coming back i had a friend who was also he wasn't in the same unit i was but he was like co-located with us so like he was uh you know he wasn't next door but he was in the same ao wherever my unit was and he came back and i mentioned it to him like did you see anything weird at jrtc and he told me some, he, he, very stoic guy, uh, a guy that really doesn't, uh, like nothing really bugs him. And like something bugged him at JRTC that he experienced, uh, and left him kind of shook. And that is what really got me thinking, you know, here, here's me and him. Like we have the kind of like the same shared experience, you know, and what, how, how many other people have experiences like this? Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's so, a good point. Yeah, and then fast forward like a, a week or two, and after I spoke with him, I was a couple beers deep, like all good stories and all great origin stories. Uh, after a couple of drinks, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna start this, and uh, I was sitting there and trying to figure out a name uh, for this like Instagram page, right? Because Instagram is, in my opinion, kind of the easier social media platform to communicate and kind of grow, and like it's been super easy. I do everything on Instagram for this. Um, and I just, boom, settled on tails from the grid square and just set off and and now the rest is history. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, so, uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about what you, uh, if you don't mind (laughs) telling us, uh, you know, what happened to you out there that, uh, you kind of, you put this, uh, this bug in your ear. Yeah, sure. So I will admit my story is comparatively kind of boring, but it's, when you connect it to my friend, it starts getting really weird. Uh, yeah, so it's basically like one night. <clears throat> so one night it was like the, the first or second night of the fight. Um, you know, I'm kind of a little kind of a shammer. So I decided to sleep away in my light fighter tent from all the uh, other people. And so I'm literally kind of on the like further most edge of like the bivouac area, the sleeping area uh, in my light fighter tent. Sorry, grunts. I'm a pog. I should have put made that clear with a sustainment <laughs> unit, and I'm by myself. I'm I'm more or less at the limits of the the sea wire, and there's a ravine oh, on the. Mm-hmm. 
I was going to say your, your only crime is pronouncing it pog. It's uh, it's pogue. <laughs> pog, pogue, semantics. <laughs> maybe I meant to say that. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe it, it's the, uh, you know, the, the spirit that's possessing you from you know, the 1700s, and that's how they said it back then with the colonial accent. Yeah, there you go. I, I've been possessed by the spirit of an old gunny who's setting out to just... <laughs> I'm going to stop. <laughs> um, so yeah, so anyway, I was by myself, more or less. And uh, to set the stage where I'm sitting with my light fighters, it opens up, it opens up towards the sea wire and about like 30, 40 feet past the sea wire is just like really thick brush, really like kind of hard to move around. You can kind of see like the natural trails that have been created by deer and people of like flattened brush. Uh, but 30, 40 feet past this is a ravine that dips down pretty low. Um, it goes down like quite a bit of a, a decline. So that's where there wasn't really too much security there at all because of the natural obstacle. Um, so I, I just chose that spot and I was set up. Uh, so I came back from doing whatever I needed to do that night. And it was about like one in the morning, more or less. And I was like trying to finally catch some sleep. I uh, came back to my light fighter. I had my red light on. Uh, you know, I was taking off my boots, getting ready to go to sleep. And all of a sudden a pine cone like lands at my feet and I, you know, not think nothing of it. I'm sleeping underneath a tree. So pine cones are probably falling. Um, and then another one lands at my feet and, uh, I was like, whatever, these pine cones are falling. Like then one hits by 10. I'm like, okay, this is, maybe I should move. This is kind of getting annoying. I get yeah. like this inclination to look up. And as I look up, a pine cone comes flying out of the woods and nails me right in the face. Like, boom right <laughs> right on my nose uh so i slap it and i immediately like turn off my light because in my mind i'm like oh man i'm about to get dragged out of my tent by geronimo like they're about to yeah. cut the wire and come, come <laughs> mess up the, the base uh <laughs> so i turn off my light and i get in my tent and i get down and i like get ready to like just punch whoever's going to come through this tent and nothing happens except for now there's pine cones flying at my tent and like pelt pelting my tent all over the place. Maybe a couple little rocks too. It sounded like, I'm like, what is going on? Like, what are these guys doing? Uh, so I finally like, like get my MVGs out. Uh, and I put my MVGs on and I poke it through a slit in my light fighter tent. And I look into the woods and I can literally see pine cones like coming through the wood line, uh, in land, like from a source. Right. But I can't see, it's so thick and it's so dark. There's no clouds at night that I, I really can't see like anything in there. I can't see any movement. So I can't see people. Maybe they're camouflage, whatever. I do like a couple IR flashes and I see nothing. And so I basically just like accept my fate. Like they're about to come take me as a prisoner yeah. of war. And I'm about to, I'm never going to live this down. And, you know, nothing happens that night. Uh, wake up the next morning. I'll go, I go tell the S2 who was on duty that night, like what had happened. Cause I figured like, he kind of, you didn't know. And they're like, oh, that's kind of weird. You're not the only one. Uh, and apparently that side of the, uh, the wire where I was sleeping on, uh, like I said, like probably about a hundred meters down where the rest of the sleep tents, uh, everybody that night had reported the same thing, like pine cones getting thrown at them. Uh, and like occasionally little rocks up, up into like, even the battalion XO was like, yeah, that was weird. Uh, the, and they were like, yeah. So they, they reported it the next morning as Geronimo was probing our defenses. And the OCs were like, what are you talking about? because Geronimo wasn't here yesterday. They weren't here last oh, night. Oh, wow. Like, you guys, like, they were like, like, sh like, shut up. Like, what do you, why are you even mentioning this? And so, like, we kind of all laughed it off as a goofy joke. Uh, so, fast forward, uh, I'm back home, and I bring up this, I, I, it didn't sit right with me, because I was like, huh, if it wasn't Geronimo, like, why didn't they just shoot? 
Like, why would they just throw like, you know, pine cones? Like that seems like everybody's asleep. It's the perfect time to attack and knock everyone out. Yeah. Right. Um, so I was like, whatever. Uh, that was kind of weird. And I mentioned it one time to my friend again, after a couple drinks, uh, who came back. And so he was co-located with another unit that we were directly supporting. And, uh, he had the exact same experience. And so like where he was, same thing, he slept away from everyone else, kind of like isolated. And what's funny is, and this is the part that like got me really like, whoa, is where he slept and where I slept, we're almost at like a right angle to each other. Um, he was on the opposite side of a ravine more or less. And like where the ravine opened up into like, you know, the incline and it opened up into the flat area. And that's where he was sleeping. And he had the exact same thing happen to him. But his story gets weirder as the battle continues and we move a couple times. Now we're up at, uh, I think, Geronimo DZ. Uh, and he's at Geronimo DZ, which is like in the middle of the training area. And again, he's sleeping away from everyone on his own. So he can, he can get like a good night's sleep. And uh, he says like, so he was only there for three days. But the three days he was there, he was like freaked out. Uh, and so he started hearing stuff in the woods, like weird howls and yelps. And uh, he explained to me that it was nothing he had ever heard. And he was, you know, a guy from Virginia, West Virginia. He grew up in the woods. Uh, and, you know, he's like, I know what animals sound like in the woods. I know what foxes sound like, bears, whatever. This was none of that. Uh, and eventually it increased to he started seeing shadows and other soldiers started seeing like this big humanoid shadow moving between trees, peeking out between trees, like a couple, like a hundred meters into the wood line. Um, and then eventually he said the kind of the culmination was the last night he was there, he was in his tent and it was, uh, there was a moon out. So he had some illumination and he hears someone walking up to his tent and he's like, he's laying in his tent and he's on a, so if you're not familiar with the light fighter tent, it's like this tent they issue out to the army now, but it can sit on a cot, right? So he's off the ground like a little bit. And he says he sees this black figure, uh, like with the like the moonlight to the back, so he can't see any detail. This big black figure walk up to his tent, and he's like sitting there, like, "What the fuck is this? Like, this is not like this is not a soldier." He's and he is yeah. about like six feet tall. He's like, "This thing was bigger than me, uh, and much wider." And he said it, it like basically looked over into his tent and was like looking around, like trying to like look inside. If that makes sense, and that's what he felt. And he's like, I'm sitting, he's like sitting there with the knife, like terrified. What is this thing? And he said, eventually the thing gets bored and like gets up or he, he thinks it was like done looking, checking them out. Basically like stops like leaning over and like walks off into the wood line. But like it left him really shaken. And yeah, I was like, wow, that, that was a, that was a really weird kind of event. And again, like if it was Geronimo, you know, there was no sea wire there if I remember correctly. So like, why would they just drag him out of the tent? You know what I mean? Um, or like, boom, you're dead. Like now you're prison, you know, whatever. Um, and I also saw some other weird stuff there. Uh, like, you know, you hear, always hear about the orbs, right? Orbs of light yeah, or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. very. So like, I had never seen that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like, and I had never seen that before. And I was pulling security at Peace on Ridge. And I was sitting there with my battle buddy, uh, the guy that was sitting there with me. And, you know, there is, so the, this is important to know there's like fireflies around us, right? You know, like, you know, fireflies give off that like soft yellowish orange glow, right? Yeah. So I see this like all around me. 
I look out in the distance and maybe people who've been to Georgia, so you know what I'm talking about. There's an abandoned farm uh, out there and it's a pretty big, like open clearing. And there's a lake with like several dead trees around it. Uh, I remember vividly seeing this ball of red light in blue light and green light come out of the wood line. Like, and I'm talking like, not like a person height, like I'm talking at treetop height, like lazily come floating out and move and weaving around the trees. And like, it almost like seemed like it was alive, like this soft, like ball of light. And like, I like nudged my friend and I was like, are, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Like, what, what is that? He's like, oh, that's nothing. Man. It's probably a drone. And like, he was of course sleeping and he fell back asleep because we were pulling 50, 50. Yeah. And I'm like, that is not a drone because I've seen the drones they use there. They make a lot of noise. These things are silent. They're quiet. And like, they were literally just weaving in between branches before they went like back into the wood line. One of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and just other weird stuff out there. Like, yeah, just, just like we weird weather anomalies that, like people talk about there, but anyway, so because of that, that is what was the catalyst for starting this little project, Tales from the Grid Square. You know that um that that is really funny that you mentioned that because I I can think of the majority of the the places and units that I've been where you know somebody has a similar story, and you know it it it, it can't be just coincidence. You know why why does something like this happen so frequently? Uh, in military bases and that's not even getting into like you know what happened overseas because like we got sent exactly. to some places where like you know Saddam uh, Hussein uses like murder houses and like I got some crazy stories about that but you know just domestically here in like the U.S. like you you know you, you got to wonder what's going on oh yeah and so um so like my big thing with Tales from the Grid Square is uh just like I try to keep myself anonymous so like you know my name on the book is a pseudonym um, uh, I, it, I create an anonymous, anonymous way. So like nobody's ever, unless they ask, nobody's ever named in the story. Um, nobody's ever tagged or anything like that. I, I try to do my due diligence and go through and cut down on identifiable information to yeah. leave it like very vague. So like a brigade of Italian, which is a lot of people. Um, some people want more of the detail. Some people want to remain totally anonymous. Some people are more freaked out about their experience than others. Most of the time, people just want to share their story. And so because I try to keep it anonymous as best as I can, um, or actually not as best as I can, I do keep it anonymous 100%. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think that is more like you need. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But yeah, sometimes, I mean, you do need like a little information like, okay, well, you know, we were in the woods, you know, we were at a, <laughs> you know, we were at a, at a, at a barracks and the muggy night or whatever. Like sometimes like you yeah. have to put a little bit of detail in there, but you know, as long as you're not out there, like giving people's EDIPI and like they're. <laughs> exactly. And um, I think that attracts a lot of people. Cause like I said, just people just want to be heard um, and just like not face judgment. And I'm sure you're probably wondering this next is like, so how do I verify these stories? So short answer is I can't verify these stories. There's a hundred percent no way for me to like physically research this and like find out if someone's being factual. So I do take a lot of what people say as, you know, um, the truth, but I do understand, like take it with a grain of salt. Um, I am also pretty well versed in like internet memes and internet lore and creepypasta. And I've been reading, you know, 
Reddit No Sleep for a while, and I've been on uh, 4chan. I don't know if you're familiar. The X is like the paranormal site of 4chan. No, I, I'll, I'll have to. Uh, don't don't be sending me to no weird subthread. Uh, like I'm already on enough watch lists. Yeah, so definitely don't go to Re- uh, 4chan. Uh, I also don't <laughs> like Reddit. Uh, I don't like Reddit for exactly the same reason you're probably thinking. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Rule 4chan, uh, yeah, unfortunately. Or I will tell you, trying to go on for- on Reddit to gather stories, uh, I have been banned from more military-themed pages than I care to count. It's hilarious. Oh, wow. I post one thing <laughs> and then I get banned. So if you're a, Re- a Reddit moderator, I don't like you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sure there's great Reddit moderators, but not the ones that have banned me. <laughs> Going back don't, to though, don't, yeah. don't give them any credit. <laughs> if, if they if they're ones that don't suck, like let them be the one to prove it. All right. The assumption is that they suck. Yeah, let's just start there. I feel like that. <laughs> but uh, so like I've had people try to send me like creepy pastas, like you know, kind of like horror set memes. And I'm like, you know, you're not going to fool me. Like I've read this like a thousand times or, you know, uh, yeah, I got like, like, to be honest with you, brother, mm-hmm. man. I, I thought you were saying creepy pasta. Like, you know, when yeah. they, they die, when they die, the pasta like black, you know? Oh, <laughs> no, not that, not that pasta. Uh, so if your listeners are not familiar, <laughs> a creepy pasta is like a meme. Think of yeah, it. Yeah, it but- is a literal, like, you know, Slender Man. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I only recently, within the last couple months, just uh, discovered what the uh, the copy pasta was. So I, yeah, I, 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 I'm sure there's some other people out there who would appreciate being enlightened. Yeah, so creepy pastas are memes, like they're they're fake. I, uh, so like Slenderman is a creepy pasta, which I'll digress. I'll kind of shoot off here a little bit. If you want to know something really creepy, part of the Slenderman mythos is uh there's a monster in the series called the rake right and the rake is described as a you know a humanoid all white figure with big black eyes and it looks human but it's not really it has like long legs and it's disproportionate to its body um and when that came out people started coming forward and saying like no i've seen that like i've seen that in the woods i've seen that in like you know minnesota or california i've seen that crawling around my house or peeking in my window and people started coming forward after Slenderman saying like they had seen the rake. And so like the rake is stuck now is kind of like a name for this phenomena that people are seeing. Um, there's some really creepy stories about people having encounters with, uh, you know, all like pale humanoid black eyed figures. Now, do you think that um, starts to fall into the realm of like cryptids? Yeah, you know, I'm not an expert, and I think that there is an explanation for everything. Um, and I, you know, potentially maybe there is a, uh, you know, the that uncanny valley thing that humans got going on. Yeah. Or you know, the quintessential fear. Oh, and by the way, if your listeners hear some screaming in the background and demonic yelling, that's not a ghost in my house. That is unfortunately my two-year-old daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, uh, um, you know, clear the air with that. Yeah, the uh, the most uh, elusive and legendary creature. Yes, can never catch them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, going yeah. back into it, I think that. Oh, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, it's all good. Um, 
So do you have a favorite cryptid? Oh, I'm a big believer in like Bigfoot. I think that there's too much circumstantial evidence and, or if you want to call it evidence, circumstantial like movies and accounts and pictures and footprints. Uh, I think that there is something out there in the woods that is a bipedal hairy humanoid, um, whether that's just a mountain man or like North, the most elusive ape in the world, a North American great ape, or like a survivor from the Ice Age. Like something is out there in the woods. And uh, if you're a listener to Sasquatch Chronicles, which I first appeared on uh, as a podcast to kind of like gain momentum for the page and put the word out there. If you listen to Sasquatch Chronicles, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories on there of people that like legitimately are shaken that they saw something in the woods that resembles Sasquatch. Oh, wow. Uh, so I took uh, my fiance. Uh, we actually just got engaged. Um, Congratulations. No, to... oh, thank you. A pretty dope story. Super happy with it. Um, every other uh, proposal pales in comparison and everybody should be jealous. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but <laughs> no, it was nice. And we, uh, we went to West Virginia to go to the Mothman museum. And that, that was pretty interesting. They have a big statue out there and that's kind of where the, the, um, the idea of an organization like the men in black first kind of really started to take form is because you know they have the the you know all the sightings and the rumors and stuff and then all these you know government officials with the sunglasses and the black suits and the uh, the black govies start showing up and asking questions and stuff and so that's kind of where like the men in black um uh, idea came from and so that was, that was kind of neat to, to see all the lore I'm a, I'm a big fan of lore and also um i used to live in puerto rico and the chupacabra is a big fucking deal down there Oh yeah, people, yeah. You know, I, I keep telling my buddy that's just his ex girlfriend running around because uh, she's a bit of a psycho. You know, just biting goats and scurrying off into <laughs> the uh, the woods. That's messed up, man. Uh, I, hey, but you know, there's something too. Uh, so I'm half I'm half Hispanic, right? Um, Hispanic, or I guess a Hispanic man, right? I'm half, and there is something to Hispanic and Latino superstitions and legends. You know, oh, yeah, for sure. if uh, <laughs> if the the old Mexican lady says don't go to the bridge at night because there's a ghost that'll drag you into the water, you better listen. Yeah, for real, man. Like, um, I my mom's Puerto Rican, and uh, you know we used to live down there. And if somebody tells you that you'll get a bruja by doing something, you don't do it. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, what do we the uh, Mexicans have Mexican culture has a uh, something like that about which that turns into an hour or la lechuza, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah, always listen to that stuff. But uh, yeah, so like <laughs> going back on track, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in the Sasquatch kind of phenomena. I think that they're, you know, I my, my view on like the paranormal, the weird, right, is there is an explanation for everything. Um, it, it may not be the one you want to hear. So uh, just because you think it's something paranormal, it's a ghost, it's a spirit, it could be you know, something totally different, uh, you know, but then again, it looks like if we're all suffering from mass psychosis and hallucinations, that's like, you know, not a hand wave, like, oh yeah, everybody's just having a mass hallucination. Whoa, 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 yeah. If everybody's seeing the same thing and you think that's just normal, 
Like, don't you think that there's something to that? Like, you know, like even if it is just a hallucination, if hundred people yeah. are hallucinating the same thing, like there's something to that, you know? And so yeah. sometimes, you know, like Occam's razor, the simplest solution is not necessarily the easiest solution. Sometimes it's the most complicated one or the, the simplest solution. The simple answer is we don't have an answer. Yeah. And you're, um, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, for example, they um, they recently discovered that there are were a bunch of pitchers for a major league baseball team that all have developed brain cancer, and something similar in a New Jersey school where like a hundred kids um, all got this really rare form of brain cancer, and it's just like, all right, well, is there like radon leaking? Is there, you know, some sort of um, uh, ecological explanation? Like when we had Kelly Krieger on. He was saying how uh, the in the the book that they did that um, they people thought this one like mine or like um, like a I think it was like a railroad slash mine that went like through a mountain was haunted and all it really was is that like the recording of the or the the sounds of the people that like yelling and doing construction and stuff were getting absorbed by the minerals in the mountains that are the same minerals that they use to make tape recorders and that wow. like when the like the lightning would strike and like they, they explained it scientifically that yes, like you will hear like unexplained noises in there, but it, it but there's a scientific explanation to it. Like uh, for those of you who want to go back and listen to that episode and, and get a better recap, but, um, or, you know, just buy his book, <laughs> you, um, <laughs> you can, but you know, sometimes there is an ecological uh, explanation and, you know, uh, those of us that would like, you know, there to be like uh, you know, big boobied mermaids out there uh, <laughs> might be disappointed that that's not the cause of whatever, you know, the, exactly. the, the sighting was, but, you know, like you said, you got to keep an open mind and, you know, you have to be willing to accept uh, the reality of a situation, even if it's not what you like. Exactly. And even, even then, like, you know, imagine like even like, Oh, the mountains minerals in the mine are absorbing sound and electric static discharge from lightning record like plays those sounds like a recording like that in itself is an incredible thing you know like okay there's our explanation but like think about like the freaking rocks are holding on to the memory of sound like that in itself is incredible yeah it's um yeah it's just wild out there because if you think about like there was a guy you know he was working on this uh technology and he realized that the chocolate bar in his pocket was melted. And, you know, he had two options. He could be like, oh, man, like, let me invite, uh, let me invent the microwave using this technology. Or he could have been like, ah, oh, there's ghosts in my blood. And yeah. he said it was, <laughs> was a haunting. <laughs> They're <laughs> so, in my walls. They're in my walls. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that there's plenty of stuff out there that we can't explain. Uh, you know, when, when you look at it from uh, various senses, like even from, like a biblical aspect where they talk about how, you know, the, the higher entities, like their ways and their thoughts are higher than ours. Like we are higher than ants. And so when you think about like the fact that, um, you know, uh, I, like you, you could take thousands upon thousands of our earths and fit them inside the sun. And, you know, you, you think about really how small we are in, in the face of, you know, the, the enormity of the cosmos and, you know, it's a real bold assumption for someone to think that they have it all figured out, you know? Exactly. And I think the, mo the most terrifying thing for people 
is the realization and acceptance that they don't have all the answers. Yeah, I think it's kind of liberating, you know, like, you know, you can just chalk it up. Like if you have a bad day or if you think the world's going against you, you know, um, you know, things never kind of seem to go your way. You can be like, ah, you know, there's probably just ghosts in the universe, you know, like that. That's the reason. It's not that I suck. It's just <laughs> there's ghosts in my blood. And there's ghosts in my blood. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, but yeah, so uh, going back to the, the, I'm sure your listeners want to hear more about the page. But uh, so I collect uh, stories from. Uh, uh, I'm gonna veterans. say real quick. That's that's rare for the guest to be like the one to to get us back on track. Usually, it's me. <laughs> oh, so I I only have to stop myself because if if I can talk, man. I, I can talk literally for hours about the most random crap you could think of. Everything from like the the history of America to the, literally the most useless fact you can imagine. I, in fact, have a volume of books, the useless books of information. Yeah. So um, you um, you put together your book and that's available out there now and um we we promised the listeners earlier that they stuck around they, they'd get to hear one of the stories so uh did you have one selected i have uh quite a few if you want uh i can read them i will actually i, f- I feel like i should explain a little bit of like kind of like the criteria of like how i collect these stories um yeah. so I, as i mentioned earlier it was, i collect you know veteran and uh active duty stories right so I collect uh, from all the services. So I got stories from like the army, the Navy, the Marine Corps and air force. Uh, I got one story from the coast guard. I wish I could get some more. Um, And uh, the army and the Marine Corps are my two biggest hitters uh, when it comes to like seeing weird crap. Uh, But I also collect stories from foreign uh, service members. So I even have, uh, I have stories from uh, the British army, the Canadian army. Those are like my, my big uh, group that sends stuff to me. Uh, everything from like the Spanish army to the Angolan army. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the Port- Portuguese army in Angola, uh, French army. Uh, I even have two stories from a gentleman who served in the Russian armed forces and got out. Uh, so if you're in the military and you've had a weird story, like I want to hear it. Uh, I also will collect stories uh, that not are not necessarily like, I call them like military related, right. Or like in the uniform. So if you are like on leave and you're driving down the road and you saw a UFO, like tell me the story. Like I, I will share that if you want that shared. Um, to so you can say that you know you're not alone. That there's other people that have experienced the same stuff as you. And man, let me tell you, it's it's led me down some wild rabbit holes uh, of places where people have experienced like all sorts of random weird crap. I know, man. So, um, yeah, if uh, I think we have enough time for for one story, um, if, if you wouldn't mind picking out your favorite, and uh, let's let's get into it. Ooh, my favorite. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, so I'll mention I, I picked up the book right here. So the book has about two hundred and forty stories on two hundred and forty two pages exactly. Uh, everything from all the services, like I mentioned, to um, you know. Uh, the like Russian military, right? And you can find this book on Amazon. Uh, this is all has been collected, edited, uh, put together by me, uh, myself on my free time. And I put it out there in the, uh, on the if internets on Amazon, right? So if you want to find it, you have to uh, go ahead and search and I'll put a link in the show notes for you. 
but if you want to search for it, you have to search Tales from the Grid Square and filter by all books to find it. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't have a cool story behind that, like I'm being censored or something like that. It's just simply because I am a uh, self-published book and have sold a low volume of books compared to others. So you have to filter like that unless, or I don't pop up. Um, if we are considering Occam's Razor, uh, we can just simply say, uh, go to your social media and click the link in the bio. Uh, yeah, that too. That's also the easiest. I have a nice little link <laughs> set up for everyone. <laughs> um, so I'll share, uh, I'll share a story from the book right here. And you can find this on page 15. So I like this story because of one of the weirder stories that has been populated out there from the war in Afghanistan. Um, and I, I'll see if uh, people can know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so this is known as the Giant of Kunar. I was deployed in as an infantry team leader with the Army in the Kunar province of Afghanistan from 2008 to 2009. One night, we set in on an observation patrol to overlook a village that we suspected IEDs were coming out of due to a successful IED recovery a few weeks prior. My lieutenant gave me the new thermal imaging system called the Recon 3 that none of us were familiar with and told me to figure out what I could learn from it and pass it along to the other team leaders. I started messing with the Recon 3 to see its capabilities and I was surprised at the clarity of the zoom on it. I spent most of my time messing with the different functionalities and watching the village. I started to look across the valley to what I could see and that led me to look along a spur we had set in on and I saw a very large heat signature at the top of one of the false peaks. I did everything as I could to get a clear image, but I was suspecting it was a group of Taliban huddled together around the light as they tend to do in the mountains. All of a sudden, the heat signature stood up as one beam. The trees in that area grew to be about 10 to 12 feet tall, and this thing was at least as tall, if not taller, than the trees that surrounded it. It started taking steps parallel to my position and was covering ground quickly with ease. However, its strides were slow and relaxed, but it was moving at an incredible speed. That led me to believe that this creature was giant. It very quickly traversed the landscape and I lost sight of it along a neighboring spur. I did not believe what I, that I saw initially, assuming I had imagined it. I had never seen anything like that in my life. I didn't tell many people about it while I was in, and even when I got out, I kept it to myself, thinking there was no way I saw what I saw. But then in 2010, I listened to a story on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, specifically the story now, now known as The Giant of Kandahar that made all the memories of my time in service come flooding back and made me consider other things I saw in that deployment. For instance, the creature was described as having fire orange hair and it reminded me of the traditions in this area that the locals would do. They would dye their hair a bright orange color and even dye the ghost the same color. I never gave an explanation why. It seemed like once in a while they would do this and then all of a sudden those goats would be gone and the, the, hair, the dye in their hair would be gone. I assume it was a cultural thing that I didn't understand, maybe an Islamic or an Afghani tradition. But now it makes me wonder if it was some type of gesture to the creature slash Nephilim where the goats were sacrificed to it. I am a Christian and the Bible briefly discusses the men of renown, aka the Nephilim. And I think that's what I saw, a member of an ancient race of giants and descendant from fallen angels. Or it could be something like Sasquatch. I'm really not sure. So that story, to me, is one of my favorites because if you're not familiar, as he mentioned in this, the gentleman mentioned in the story, uh, there is a famous uh, radio show called Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell when Art Bell was still alive. And uh, they featured uh, a story about a C-130 crewman who saw this giant 
being loaded into, uh, I'm sorry, C-17 crewman or something like that. I saw a giant being loaded into a plane to be flown out of the country. And the story he got was that like uh, the special forces team went to go investigate a missing patrol or something. And they were attacked by a giant. A little bit. Uh, so it's kind of like a weird story. And I don't know, some of the details don't really make much sense if you look at it from like a military standpoint. Uh, so I kind of always thought that it was fake, right? And hearing this gentleman's story has made me rethink that. Uh, that maybe there's something in the mountains in Afghanistan that was gigantic. Um, and I've actually gotten some other stories from service members about seeing what they described as giant figures in Afghanistan. Um, it's definitely, if for the listeners, uh, if you're into like the weird and kind of like the fringe stuff, giants uh, are is a rabbit hole to, that you can jump down to. And there's actually a lot of interesting history with, uh, you know, giant, giant skeletons being discovered and, you know, whisked away by the, uh, the Smithsonian because the skeletons had challenged the current evolution, evolutionary theory at the time. Um, so there, there's some, some stuff to the giant theory. Uh, it's definitely, though, a rabbit hole to go down to uh, that can get kind of weird, not going to lie. Yeah, so um, there, there are a few interesting things there. Um, although it is not uh, confirmed by any any hard scripture, but there is a theory that uh, Goliath was uh, the offspring uh, of a Nephilim. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and for, for those of you who are wondering where that is, that's in Genesis 6, I believe, uh, where, where they talk about the, um, uh, the, the giants that uh, used to be around. Um, second point is uh, from you know, the other side of the Abrahamic religions, um, there is the prevalent theory that uh, the uh, prophet of Islam, Muhammad, was a redhead. And uh, so oftentimes people will dye their hair in that fashion because uh, you know, they are trying to uh, either pay honor or be more like that. And so whenever we would deploy, uh, if we had somebody who was of darker skin and had red hair, they would always ask us you know, if they were Afghan. Uh, or if they had any sort of uh, relations to any of the families of the prophet, uh, so just kind oh, wow. of a, a little, a little neat bit of uh, you know various uh, culture things because you know you, you know the, the more you pick up, the kind of like the more dots you can connect, and it kind of really adds some very interesting depth to different stories. And yeah, that's when, very um, fascinating. Yeah, and when you when you talk about. Um, you know, places like Iraq, you know, where you had the, the Tigris and the Euphrates meet, a lot of people even think that was the cradle of life. So when, when you think about some of the uh, the paranormal stories that come out of that, you know, that, that pop might possibly be, you know, the, the, the oldest place in existence where, you know, humans have resided in the entire planet. And, you know, so I highly encourage more people to, um, you know, check out your book, and we'll we'll have to do a separate episode or a follow-on episode where you know we have some of our own stories. Um, and uh, so, where can people find you on uh, social media, and what's your website? Oh yeah, so right now I'm working on the website, but I primarily operate off of Instagram, right? So if you have an Instagram account, Tales from the Grid Squares. Well, right on. Thank you so much. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, and uh, absolutely. Again, you can find my book on Amazon or in the, the nifty link to my uh, Instagram page I include in the bio. Uh, but, you know, everything happens through word of mouth on my page. So I, uh, you know, the more people that follow me is really the more chance that 
I uh, can get a story. So I don't make any money off my follower accounts. You know, this is all like organically grown by me and through the assistance of others. And so if you know someone or you have a story yourself, please contact me. Uh, you can also reach me on email, which is talesfromthegridsquare at gmail.com. So just the title of my page at gmail.com, all one word. And, you know, please tell me your story and we'll keep it as anonymous as you like. If you just want to share much, send me, share your story and like have me not share it. That's fine too. Like I have no problem just like reading your story. And so you can feel like you've been heard. Uh, I very much view this as my own weird way at, you know, uplifting veteran voices and giving, I guess, a, uh, a way for veterans and service members to tell stories they otherwise may or may not tell. Well, fantastic. Everybody make sure you go to check him out and um, I will definitely uh, put a, a bookmark in the future. So that way we can come back and I can uh, share some of my own experiences and hopefully I can get uh, AJ and uh, Jamie and, you know, some of the other usual suspects to come on there and uh, talk about some of theirs. So uh, oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. So fair wind yeah, following no, seas. We'll see you next time here in the smoke pit. Awesome. Looking forward to it.